listening to the Miracle Word Podcast. We believe that the Word of God gives you the power to experience never-ending increase in every area. If you're ready for revelation that will take you to the next level, you're in the right place. Here's your host, evangelist, author, and founder of Miracle Word University, Ted Shuttlesworth, Jr. Um, In this broadcast, by the way, today on a Monday, it's a great way to start your week. Um, I'm going to be dealing with, and you saw it in the description, don't be that Christian. Don't be that Christian. What am I talking about? Three types of Christians that you want to avoid being. Three types of Christians that you want to avoid being. You don't want to be these. And I'm going to show you the opposite uh, of what you do want to be on the other side of that. And I'm actually going to show it to you from the scripture. It's not just, uh, it's not just an opinion. I'm going to show you these things from the scripture today. And you don't want to be that Christian. Um, and we're seeing a lot of that Christian in America and around the world. So it's actually a warning from scripture and it'll, it'll help you to be the most impactful, the most powerful believer in the kingdom of God that you could possibly be. And that's what today's about. And uh, so thank you for sharing it. Norman, it's great to see you um, up in New Brunswick, out in St. Albertus, uh, St. Albert, Saskatchewan. 100 day revival. Praise God for that. Going on in Saskatchewan right now. 100 day revival. That's amazing. Um, Lynn Ann, great to have you. Natalie Shaver Wagner. Let's jump into this today. Uh, if you're ready to go, grab your Bible and I want to take you in. Don't be that Christian. Uh, three things that I want to show you from the word today uh, that I see all too often and it actually causes you to miss out on what God has called you to do, number one, but also from being a blessing to your generation, from being an asset. You end up being a liability. You end up being almost a hindrance to the body of Christ. And of course, I'm sure that's uh, nobody watching this broadcast. The Victory Tribe is not these people. But uh, I'm just showing you ahead of time so that you never fall into that trap. What's up, Hope? So I want to start with you in uh, the book of Mark, chapter 3. So go to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 3. And um, I'm going to show you this first type of Christian that you definitely want to avoid being. And sadly, to be honest with you, I'm seeing a whole lot of these right now. There's my friend Josiah Griever. Love you, buddy. I'm seeing a whole lot of this type of Christian in the body of Christ right now. And, you know, it's, it is kind of a, a sad thing. You don't want to see it, um, but it happens. So I'm going to take you into Mark chapter 3. And we're going to read one through six, if you're taking notes. And for those of you that are jumping on, would you do me a favor today and put these scripture references in the comments for me? That way people that are watching later can jump on and follow us pretty easily as we're going down through the teaching. Mark chapter three, and we're going to go verses one through six. Uh, And I'm going to show you the first type of Christian. Look at this. Again, Jesus entered the synagogue And a man was there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. This is insane. And he said to the man with the withered hand, come here. And he said to them, 
Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm? To save life or to kill? But they were silent. These bums. And they looked around at them. He looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart and said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out and his hand was restored. Look at verse six. And the Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. This is insane. This is insane to me. There's my father. Love you, dad. There's Julia on Periscope. Good to have you. This is first. This is the first type of Christian you don't want to be. And look what they said. After Jesus heals the man, they wouldn't even answer his question. Is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath or to do harm, to save life or to kill? They wouldn't answer him. The reason they wouldn't answer him is because they wanted to destroy him. They were plotting to destroy him. And after he heals the man, the Bible says they went out, met with the Herodians and plotted how they could destroy Jesus. And so the first type of Christian that you want to avoid being is the type of Christian that knows everything or that wants to be right about everything doctrinally, but has no compassion for people. And I see this a ton in the body of Christ right now. We've got debaters. We've got all the people that have all the facts. You know, they want all the facts to be straight. They want to correct everybody's doctrine. They want to, I mean, they want to be the person that's the smartest in the room, all this stuff, but no compassion for people. Got a lot of people debating, discussing, correcting. You know, you got believers that'll spend hours online debating comments with people uh, over what they said in a video or what they believe. Let me give you an example. I'll give you an example about this. Um, is that Stephanie or is that Roberto? Love you, buddy. Um, I was, I was, I did a video one time on my YouTube channel. This was years back. And I used to do those real short videos. I don't know if you guys remember them. But I used to do like three minute videos where I'd like answer a question for the millennial generation. Hey, Stephanie, I would just do a quick video, you know, hit the biblical points, read the scriptures, give you the answer and, um, and then put it out for the young people. And um, I did a video one time on salvation. And of course, I'm Pentecostal, so I did the Pentecostal view of salvation. Well, no, I love apologetics also. And we should, by the way, side note, Billion said I love apologetics, though can't, I I ain't gonna lie. I'm the same. I think anybody that loves the word of God loves apologetics. And by the way, Peter the Apostle instructed us in 1 Peter chapter 3 that we are supposed to be ready at all times. We'll go there in a second. I'm going to show you this. I'm with you, Billion. But I did this video, like three minutes, and uh, it was on salvation. And of course, I'm not a Calvinist. I'm not reformed. I'm not, uh, you know, I don't don't believe in um, predetermined, predeterminism, if you will, predetermined salvation. Uh, I believe in free will. I believe in synergistic salvation. So I did a video on that. Well, here's a dude grabs a hold of my video, which is, by the way, keep in mind, my video, like three minutes, 40 seconds long, three minutes, 
40 seconds long. This dude downloads my video and does his own video about my video on his channel. His video was like an hour and 50 minutes. <laughs> an hour and 50 minutes. My video was three minutes, 40 seconds long. And he did an hour, 50 minute commentary. You hear me? On my three minute and 40 second video. You know, dripping with sarcasm. You know, backhanded comments. We're, you know, sp- supposedly my brother in Christ. And, uh, and, and literally just, you know, wanting to bash my video, really wanting to be right is, is really what he wanted to be. Correct my doctrine, be right and all this stuff. But then, you know, I've talked to him uh, privately. I don't know him. I've never met him, but I've talked to him on message. And, um, and I'm basically just talking to him. Here's a dude that's basically just sitting in his bedroom and fit, filming videos on his computer. I'm not saying this uh, in a mean way. I'm saying this is what he was actually doing. If you watch, or his living room, I can't tell if it's his living room or bedroom. Um, you know, you watch his videos. He's got a webcam on his, on his computer doing videos, um, you know, on, he's got podcasts, all that. But at the same time, I'm thinking to myself, okay, yes, you may believe differently about salvation than I do. However, think about this point for a second. No matter how you believe on the spectrum of salvation, whether you're a reformed Calvinist or whether you're a free will Armenian, uh, let me ask you a question. Shouldn't all of us be reaping the harvest of souls? Shouldn't all of us be preaching the gospel? And calling people to Jesus? Yes. Yes. But here's a dude. Here's a guy uh, that was basically just correcting. His whole channel was just about spewing, you know, mean things about different preachers and things on, you know, whether it be Joel Osteen or whoever else. And just correcting them, mocking them. Instead of actually doing the work of Christ. This is the point I'm making to you today actually doing the work of Christ. I heard T.D. Jakes uh, say something one time that really uh, blew my mind. He said, um, he said, uh, I've got, I'm, I'm too busy running my race to stop and criticize other people's races. Think, think about that. I'm too busy running my race to stop and criticize other people's races. To, you know, you know, if you were going to do that, imagine if you were running in like a track meet and you were all on your own line and it was a sprint. Imagine if you were going to critique the running style of someone that, that was in the lane next to you, or if you were going to critique their form, you would actually have to slow down and watch them uh, run their race in order to pick up the intricacies of what they were doing, which means your race wouldn't be being run you'd actually have to slow down. You'd stop your sprint in order to do that. And that's what's happening to many people. It's, that's exactly right. Roger said, it comes down to the argument. Who is the greatest among it's, it's, it's a pride thing. And so I can't slow down in my race personally to criticize other people and what they're doing. I don't have time and see the difference becomes this. If you're doing what God has called you to do and reaping the lost, uh, the harvest, preaching the gospel, seeing people changed by the power of God, even in your own personal life as a believer, then you don't have time to engage in criticizing other people's race, criticizing other people. You're not called to do that. 
especially, you know, what's funny is if you understand how it works, people like that aren't even in position. They're not even in position to criticize me or you. That's why we have spiritual leadership. That's why we have pastors. That's why why we have people that are actually placed in the church by God to bring correction when it's needed. And so if anybody was going to correct me, it would be, you know, my pastor or my father, who's my spiritual father, or someone that I'm actually submitted to, not some dude in his living room filming videos on a webcam, you know, so, you know, just think logically about it. It's why we have spiritual authority that if there's not somebody you're submitted to, you do have a problem. If you don't attend a local church faithfully, if you don't have a pastor, if you don't have spiritual leadership, if there's no one that can correct you, you're out of place. But don't ever become that person that just wants to be so right all the time that you don't have compassion for people. You have to remember people are dying. People are on their way to hell. People are being destroyed by the effects of sin. People are being taken out by the spirit of this world And rather than actually doing the work of Christ, many Christians are just engaged in what we call cannibalism. (laughs) They're eating their own. They're literally just going around eating up other Christians about what they're saying, what they're doing, what God didn't make you the referee of the whole body of Christ. Bottom line, God didn't make you the referee of the whole body of Christ. You don't have a black and white striped shirt on. You don't have a whistle hanging around your neck. You're not running up and down the field as people preach the gospel. Focus on your race. Do what you're called to do. And and you won't have time to criticize. And here's another thing. Can I tell you why that dude doing that didn't bother me? Is because I'm also so busy doing what I'm called to do. I don't have time to sit around and think about what he had to say about my life and ministry. I just don't have the time. And so understand If you keep your eyes on the prize, keep your eyes on uh, what you're focused on and where you're headed, you won't be destroyed by what people think about you, what they say about you. It's like Dr. Reinhard Bonnke said to us one day at lunch. He said, if people's praise can't build you up, then their criticism can't tear you down. Amen. If people's praise can't build you up, then their criticism can't pull you down. And that's really the key that you have to keep in your mind is that if you allow your emotions uh, to drive how you feel about yourself, about your ministry, your call, your purpose, then anything that's external that affects your emotions will affect your impact. Man, that's good. I wish somebody would write that down. I'm going to say it again because this is a huge point, huge. Let me break it down slower. If you are affected, hey, Ted Nashley, love you. If you are affected by your own emotions, meaning your emotional state determines where you're at today. Well, I don't feel like it's a, if you're, if you are controlled by your emotions, then any external force that affects your emotions will control your purpose. Man, please catch this today. Catch this today. Thank you, Denise. Josiah knows what I'm talking about. 
He's seen all the comments. I'll break it down one more time. If you are a person who is controlled by your emotions, that's a soulish Christian, not controlled by your spirit, not controlled by what the Bible says, but controlled by your soul, your emotions. You don't bring them into check, bring them in line. Then what happens is anything, any external force that affects your emotions will also affect your purpose. So think about it this way. If somebody says something mean to you and it affects your emotions, puts you out of kilter, and now you can't function properly, their comment to you just affected your purpose because now you can't really do what you're called to do at the highest level because you're being controlled by your emotions and your emotions just got hurt. So now you're in a place where uh, your destiny, your purpose, your calling, your anointing, the function of your life and ministry is actually being hindered by something that some knucklehead said that you've got no control over. That's why you cannot be controlled by your emotions. And you cannot allow yourself to become the person that, see, really at the, at the heart of this, it, it becomes pride. At the heart of it, it becomes pride. Because it's that uh, puffed up with much knowledge kind of a person. Puffed up with knowledge, puffed up with knowledge. And so don't become so puffed up with knowledge that you don't stay compassionate towards the plight of humanity. And remember this, what did Jesus say? Uh, A a scripture that I always bring up in uh, John chapter nine and verse four, Jesus pounds it into his disciples' minds and spirits. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is yet day for the night is coming where no man can work. Urgency, time-sensitive calling, And so that's what I want you to see. Every one of you watching me today are anointed by God. If you're a Christian, you are anointed by the Holy Spirit of God. You have a purpose. You have a call. The the Lord is using you. Don't let the devil or people derail you in the operation of your purpose because your emotions become affected. And then because of that, You're in a place where you can't function properly. Don't be emotionally driven. It is one of the number one things that destroys Christians. Emotionally driven. And so don't become, don't become the know-it-all. Don't be that Christian. Say, well, actually, if you want to know the truth about it, don't be, do the work of the Lord that God's called you to do. And unless you're somebody's pastor, don't go around correcting everybody. And unless they ask your advice, don't give it. Because what ends up happening many times is, is people love to go around giving their input on everything. No one asks them. And so just, just remember this. This doesn't just have to do with scriptural things. This doesn't just have to do with Christian things. This has to do with anything, by the way. This is human nature. If you start throwing your input into everybody, everything everybody's saying and doing that was nobody asked for it, Let me tell you, you're going to get uninvited to a lot of things because nobody likes to just be randomly corrected all the time by somebody that they never asked. Uh, it's, It's just like, it's human nature. I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. No one can stand that person 
that always actually has to bring up a correction about something you just said. No one can stand that person. If they didn't ask your opinion, then just keep it to yourself. Just keep it to yourself. And so I'm not talking about preaching the gospel. I'm not talking about if you see somebody living in sin. I'm not talking, I'm not, I'm talking about if you, if you're one of those people that's a know-it-all that's going around correcting everybody all the time, just keep it to yourself unless you are asked. I'll give you two more things very interesting about this. Your advice will be so much more valued when you keep it to yourself until it's requested of you. This is an important point. Until somebody requests it. Because understand, when somebody requests your opinion, requests your input, you know what that does? It actually gives you authority to deliver it to them. Gives you authority. What they've done now is opened up the door and said, speak into me, give me your opinion, give me your advice, give me your your thoughts on this. It gives you the authority to speak those things to those people. Let me show you now. Go to 1 Peter chapter 3 with me. I'm going to go back to what Billion said a minute ago um, because I do want to point this out because I'm, I'm, I'm with Billion. I, I'm with Billion. I, I like apologetics myself. I really do. Um, and let me read you this verse. <clears throat> 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 15, this is the standard apologetics textbook verse for anybody that wants to get into apologetics. We're actually commanded to do so. Um, Apologetics, just broken down for anybody that doesn't know what it is, it's, it's explaining your faith or giving an answer about your faith uh, for those that don't understand it being able to explain it from the Bible doctrinally to those that don't understand it. Listen to Peter's command to the believer. 1 Peter 3.15 But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it, and here's the part almost everybody misses, which is why we're doing this on number one. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Verse 16, having a good conscience so that when you're slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. Yes, we are to make a defense. We are to give an answer to those. Look at the verse though. Anyone who asks you, If they didn't ask you, (laughs) it's a different story. See that, but do it. Now here's the key that everyone misses in the Facebook comments, the YouTube comments, the at replies on Twitter. Here's where everybody misses it, but do it with gentleness and respect, not with name calling, not with slandering, do it with gentleness and and respect. Listen, you're not looking at a person that's perfect. I've thrown my share of comments around in the comments section. (laughs) I'm just like any of you that are watching. You know, things can tick me off. Things can annoy me, you know. And, um, but I'm glad, Todd, thank you. Uh, You have to come to the place um, that 
you understand that not everybody's at the same level of faith. Not everybody's at the same level of anointing. People are still growing. Some are baby Christians. Some aren't even Christians. But notice what the word says. Do it with gentleness. Do it with respect. I love what Roger said. God's kindness leads us to repentance. If you're not kind, you'll have a hard time leading people to a correct mindset. Because remember this, and I, wanna, I do want to say this to you before we move on, because this, this is more important than I could ever tell you, is one of the things that I'm realizing, and people are starting to realize more that psychology has done on this, is when you are talking to someone, for example, they've proven that the majority of what somebody takes away from the message you just said to them is only about 10 to 20% what you actually said, but it's 80 to 90% how you said it. They take into account body language, tone of voice, uh, facial expression, all these things. So if I said, I could say the same exact thing two different ways. You know, I'm looking at Talitha sitting back in the booth. If Talitha walked in today, I could say the same exact thing to her two different ways. She would take it two different ways. I could say to her, hey, Talitha, that's a really nice outfit you have on today. I mean, I really like that. And then she'd take that one way. But if she walked in, I was like, that's a real nice outfit you got on, Talitha. (laughs) Well, that's a whole different, I said the same exact thing. But my body language, my facial feature, my tone of voice, everyone in this room and those of you watching knows it didn't mean the same thing. Didn't mean the same thing. Obviously, one meant meant I did like her outfit. The other meant I didn't care for her outfit. And so all these things play in. Now, that's an extreme example, but catch this. Kindness, kindness, gentleness, respect. The Bible says a soft answer turns away wrath. Have you read that? A soft answer, gentle, turns away wrath. You can actually, uh, two things you can be in the body of Christ. And I want you to write this in the comments. Two things I can be. I can either be a diffuser or I can be an instigator. I can choose that. And God, by the way, has called you to be a diffuser, a peacemaker, not an instigator. I can be an instigator. I can be a diffuser. I can diffuse situations. I can diffuse bombs, emotional bombs. Because let me tell you, we know a lot of people that have them, don't we? Throw your hands up in the comments section if you know a few people that have emotional bombs. You don't have to write their name or even tag them in the broadcast. But you know what I'm talking about. I can be a diffuser or an instigator. And we're called to be peacemakers. In fact, the Bible says blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers. We're called to make peace, to live in peace. Not cause strife and drama and division. That's a work of the devil. It's a work of the devil. I can be an instigator. See, the hands are going up. (laughs) Did I see Brother Lundstrom's daughter on today? Was that Brother Lundstrom's daughter? I'm sorry if I made the mistake. That's right. Denise said, I'm a diffuser. We're choosing to be diffusers diffuse problems. You might have somebody come in so angry, ready to bite your head off. 
You know, I learned this. I told you the other day, it'd be something good for you guys to check out. There's a guy by the name, and I'll write it in the comments. There's a guy by the name of Chris Voss. Did that go up? Yep, Chris Voss. Hey, there's Ben Folk. Uh, I put Chris Voss's name in the comments because he was one of the top, if you want to look at it, I believe he was the top FBI hostage negotiator, which means he's the best hostage negotiator in the world. Top hostage negotiator. And he wrote a book um, entitled Never Split the Difference. And he, did, he even did a masterclass on uh, negotiation techniques. Very interesting to me that he said um, that when you're negotiating with somebody, same thing happens. Anytime you're having a conversation, it's a negotiation. And um, one of the things he said was, you never let your emotions get involved with it. If you're talking to somebody, somebody could come in ready to bite your head off and, you know, hey, I got to, you know, and you literally, you just stay, you just stay even keeled. You don't let your emotions get involved. You're led by your spirit, not your flesh. And he said, one of the things you can do to get more information, because one of the things that happens is sometimes, and raise your hand in the comments if this has been you, sometimes somebody comes at you and you don't even know what they're mad about. Like, they're ready to go. <laughs> See, like, people say, yes. People in the audience raising their hand. You know, people are ready to go and you don't even know what they're angry about. You're trying to get clarification. They don't want to talk. They're ready to fight. What's the deal? I'm ready to bite your head off. I don't know. So... A soft answer turns away wrath. That's a scripture principle. So staying gentle, kind, even keeled. And one of the things he said is mirroring, which is a technique hostage negotiators use, mirroring the person's words. Um, you know, let's say, for example, somebody ran up on you. I can't believe you would do that to me. And you would just mirror what they said. Do that to you? That's a mirror. I can't believe you would do that to me. Do that to you? Yeah. And then what happens? They explain themselves. Instead of, I didn't do anything to you. What are you talking about? What, instead of that, do it's a mirror. What are you doing? Without putting any of your own input into the conversation, what are you doing? Getting them to expand their explanation of what they're talking about. Well, what do you mean? You don't even have to say what do you mean, but just by mirroring them, it's, a, it's, a, it's leading them to expand. Do that to you? Yeah, you know what you said about me? What I said about you? Another, another mirror. It just keeps people explaining. And then at the time, it gives them time to cool down and you're actually getting more information in the process. Because if you start by saying, ho, 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 let's just talk about this. They may not want to. No, I'm ready. But by doing that, see, because what it, what it ends up doing is it pushes the responsibility back onto them to explain what they're upset about because if not, they feel like a fool. Do, do that to you? Because you're not even upset. You're just sitting there asking, what do you mean? And see, you're diffusing situations. You're not entering into fleshly conflicts. You're not entering into being led by your emotions and led by your soul. And see, this is the problem here. The Pharisees in Mark chapter 3, they just wanted to be right. Well, he shouldn't be doing that on the Sabbath. You, you know what the law says. Jesus is over here breaking the law. And all they, they didn't care at all about the man's withered hand. I mean, think how demonic that is. I would rather the man stay crippled and adhere to the law than I would see God touch the man. 
That's a demonic way of thinking. That's why the Pharisees got rebuked so much by Jesus and he didn't pull any punches when he talked to him either. You whitewashed sepulchers full of dead men's bones. It's what you are. You know, it's like, imagine saying that to somebody, you know. You're just a whitewashed grave full of dead men's bones. I mean, that's a, you know. So, don't be the know-it-all. Don't be the person that just wants to be right doctrinally but has no compassion for people. Guy doing a two-hour video on a three-minute video of mine. How many people has he won to Jesus over the last year? How many people has he actually brought into the kingdom? How many people has he seen healed? None. They don't believe, he doesn't believe that way. Doesn't believe in miracles, healing, and all that. I understand. But I mean, you see the point I'm making. Engage your purpose rather than being the person who just wants to be viewed as right all the time, like these Pharisees. You make yourself a modern-day Pharisee is what you end up becoming. A modern-day Pharisee that's not doing the work of God. Do the work of God and let God be the one who rewards you or corrects you. And of course, you're submitted to spiritual leadership. If your pastor speaks to you, don't get offended and leave the church. Accept correction, make the changes, and be humble. Humility is the key to increase and abundance. The Bible says, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Matthew 5, 5. So catch that. Be meek, be humble, engage your purpose. Accept correction when it comes from the proper channel. And be the one who's quick to make changes, quick to repent, get back on track. God will bless you. Don't be the know-it-all. That's number one. Number two, we're talking about don't be that Christian. Don't be that Christian. The second type of Christian you don't want to ever become is the type of a Christian who has a form of godliness and denies the power. Second Timothy chapter three, go with me. Don't ever, and this is, by the way, This is prophecy. This is end times Bible prophecy. There will be Christians like this. There's already tons of Christians like this. Godlessness in the last days, the Bible heading here says. And of course, um, we know that Paul is teaching Timothy, the younger preacher, about what to see, what to avoid in the last days. And of course, it's come to us too, as God's preserved his word for his whole body. And the Bible says, let me start with verse one, second Timothy chapter three, I'll read one through seven. Listen, understand this in the last days, there will come times of difficulty for people will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Avoid such people. Avoid such people. So notice this is not actually talking about Christians. <laughs> this is, t- or sinners. This is talking about Christians who are doing these things, not sinners. Sinners can't help but sin. That's all they do is sin. But we're talking about Christians that have a, an appearance of godliness, 
But notice, they're lovers of themselves, lovers of money, lovers of pleasure rather than God, all these different things. And Paul said, when you see those types of Christians, avoid them completely. That blow, that'll blow your mind. Well, that doesn't sound like walking in love, brother. Number two is, don't be the, the Christian that has a form of godliness or an appearance of godliness, but denies his power. Don't be that person. Paul said, if you see people like that, avoid them completely. Huh. Avoid them completely. Well, that doesn't sound like you're walking in love, brother. Sounds like you need to get a revelation of grace. That's how people would think today. Whereas the scripture says, avoid them completely. First of all, let me give you a couple of reasons why you need to avoid them completely. Number one, they're toxic people. They're toxic. And they should know better because they're already Christians. Let me tell you why Paul's teaching this. Because they're already Christians. Now, Paul is talking to Christians here about avoiding relationships with these people. But if you look what he says to Titus, who's a minister, he says to Titus at the end, now you're the leader of these people. Don't just, don't just dismiss them at the first sight of problems. He said, warn them once, warn them twice. But if they don't listen after two warnings at the third time you come, dismiss them from the body and have nothing more to do with them. So you see the grace is there, but that's leaders. Those are people that are teaching and trying to bring people up in the knowledge of the truth. But see, Christians are actually just commanded to avoid them because what happens is because we're not spiritual leaders, what happens is that stuff becomes contagious. You start hanging out with people that are lovers of themselves. You know what you'll become a lover of yourself. You start hanging with people that become lovers of money. You know what you'll become? A lover of money. People that are brutal, conceited, don't have self-control. You'll become a person with no self-control. People that are brutal, slanderous. And so you guard your relationships fiercely. I want you to put it in the comments right now. I must guard my relationships fiercely. I must guard my relationships fiercely. There's little in your life that's more important than who you give access into your life. There's very little in your life that is more important than who you give access because it'll make you or break you. I like what Glenn said. That's a defensive walk. Protect your spirit. You're walking. You're keeping yourself from all harm, keeping yourself from all danger. I must guard my relationships fiercely, fiercely have to do it. Why? Because the devil will use any means he can to destroy your life, your purpose, your call. And many times he uses people. (laughs) I heard a preacher say one time, I'll never forget this. He said, when God wants to bless you, he puts a person in your life. But when the devil wants to curse you, he puts a person in your life. Same method, two different outcomes. Same method, two different outcomes. And so you have to understand, I'm guarding my relationships fiercely. Because, see, it's subtle. It sneaks in. Things sneak in. 
First, someone's just bringing you a coffee. And the next thing you know, they're bringing you peanut butter cups. And then the next thing you know, they're bringing you Madeline's. And you were doing so good on keto. And you were losing weight. And so you had a friend that was just going to supposedly bring you coffee. That was the entrance drug. And then all of a sudden, you see what happens? I didn't guard my relationships fiercely. And now I've got, let me, let me look at this. And now I've got 20 carbs in that. And in this over here, if I ate all three of these, let's see what it would end up being. I mean, this, I'm just showing you. Total, 28 carbs in that. That's 48 carbs in just two little things. That's four, that's five days worth of eating for me. You can just see. You can just see what happens. You can see how it takes place. You've got to, you've got to guard, <laughs> just joking. You've got to guard those relationships. Um, there's my friend, Pastor Jordan. I love you, buddy. But it's true. I mean, because in, in the, in the overall scheme, you look at what happens. It always starts small and builds. It's not, you know, you're not out, you know, murdering people on the first outing together. You understand things build. And the longer you hang with people, the more regular what you guys do together becomes. You start talking like them. You start emulating them. You start going where they go. You start dressing like they dress. You start listening to what they listen to. You start saying what they say. And what ends up happening is you become who you're around. You become who you're around. No question about it. That's why Paul was so, I mean, think about how serious he was with believers in the New Testament, the Corinth, church in Corinth. He said, don't even be unequally yoked with an unbeliever. Think about that. Don't even be unequally yoked with an unbeliever. Why? Because what relationship does light have with darkness? What relationship does God have with the devil? They're not in relationship. And in the same way, you are the temple of God. And Paul said they are temples of idols. You don't join the temple of God with temple of idols. There's no relationship there. If you're dating somebody that's unsaved, break up with them. If you're engaged to somebody that's not uh, saved, don't marry them till they get saved and filled with the Holy Ghost. Don't, don't do that. You're violating the scripture. Don't be unequally yoked with an unbeliever. I've seen so many relationships destroyed because somebody who was saved decided they just wanted to have a relationship with somebody that was unsaved. Well, your desires aren't even the same. Your goals aren't even the same. There's going to be friction from the very beginning, very beginning. And so you've got to guard yourself. But don't become one of those people that Paul's prophesying about that has a form of godliness, denies the power. Don't become a person that comes to church every week and, you know, you lift your hands, but you don't want to move the spirit. You don't want God to move. You just rather have a nice little church service with 90 minutes or, you know, nowadays, 75 minute service, go home and then do the rest. You know, I just want God for an hour and 15 minutes a week. And then, you know, I don't really want him to speak to me after that. Don't punch your card in and punch your card out and have a little form of godliness. I'm speaking to preachers too. Don't run your church services like a drive through. Don't have a move of God. That's what I appreciate about Crossroads Community Church and Pastor Brian Jessica Tomes is they're not going to mess around. There's a, a Holy Ghost move. This is probably, if I, I would have to say, in the, in the region of New England, probably the, one of the best Holy Ghost churches in the whole region, not just in Massachusetts, in all of New England, in all of New England. I'm just telling you right now, what's happening here is supernatural. I prophesied it a couple of years ago. 
that this house would be uh, the epicenter of a regional revival for New England. And it's happening. God's blessing this church, his hand of blessings on this church. Revival is in this church. Momentum is in this church. And so I'm just telling you right now, it's, it's supernatural what God's doing here. Be a part of a church that's on fire. If you're in a church that doesn't want God to move, dry little services, got, you know, no power of God moving, nobody's being saved, nobody's being filled with the Holy Ghost, nobody's being healed, it's time to find another church. It's time to find another church. Because this is not a small thing, by the way. Do you know what? By the way, let me show you how powerful and big of a thing this is. Paul said, if you do find people like that, avoid them at all costs. If you're in a church like that, avoid it at all costs. Find a church that's on fire. By the way, if you're not close to one, let me say something to you. It's worth moving to find a good church. It's worth moving to be a part of a Holy Ghost church. Just so, just so you know. By the way, since I'm up here in New England, let me just give you a little history of our nation. New England, this first area, obviously we had Jamestown, we had the area of Virginia there, but you know, you come up here to where Plymouth Rock is and everything. Uh, and as these early towns and cities were being built in America, do you know what the first building that they would always build in every town? It was the church. The church was built at the center of every town and city in these early settlements in America. Then you know what they would do? They would build all the homes and buildings and stores out from the church, which sat in the middle of town. Because they understood even back then that the church should be the center of a community. The church should be the center of a civilization. And it should. The power of God should be the center of a community and a civilization. Always. They built the church first and everything else flowed out from the house of God. And that's actually a principle that will bring blessing and increase. You look how this nation was founded. You wonder why we're the most blessed nation in the world. That's why. Because of the principles upon which this nation was founded. That's why we're blessed. And so understand, don't become somebody who has a form of godliness, but denies his power. Remember this, God always wants to move. If you're watching this and you're, you're live right now, I want you to put it in the comments, even if you're watching a replay, put it in the comments. God always wants to move, always. He always wants to manifest himself in many different forms. Maybe he wants to draw people into the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and have salvation. He always wants people saved. He's willing that none should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So if your church isn't having people saved, what's up with that? He always wants to heal. Jesus shed his blood so that people could be healed. Took stripes upon his back. He wants to deliver. He wants to set free. He wants to baptize people with the Holy Ghost. God always wants to move, but there are many places that will not allow him to move. Don't be a part of one of those places and don't allow yourself to become one of those people who wants to just look holy and look like a Christian, but you don't ever want God's power in your life. Don't ever want his power in your home, but God always wants to move. Let me give you number three because I know we're, we're an hour in. 
This is a very, very interesting one and something I see happen often. If you're, uh, that was 2 Timothy 3, 5 through 7. I actually read 1 through 7. Now, number three, the third type of Christian. Don't be that Christian. Don't be that Christian. What's the third type? The self-focused prayer project. Don't be that Christian. Every week at the altar, Pastor, I need your prayers. Pastor, I'm in in trouble. Pastor, I'm really going through it. I'm really going through it. Don't be constant. Now listen, you may start there. I get that people need help and I'm not mocking people who need help because many do. Many do. But if you've been in church 20 years and you're still the self-focused prayer project, something's wrong. Something is wrong. You either didn't grow up in the faith, meaning you've been there 20 years, but you never matured. You didn't get any word in you. You didn't build any supernatural strength. You're not operating walking by faith. So what happened? You became, you stayed an infant Christian for 20 years. How did that happen? How did that happen? I mean, if you've been in church five years, you shouldn't have to stay in that self-focused prayer project status for your, you know, for years and years and years. That's what's the important thing about being in a good church. Because if you're in a, that's why I said that as number two, because now we're number three. If you're in a powerful church where the power of God's moving, you're going to be discipled into a strong believer. Your leadership, which is going to be strong, is going to raise up strong people. Because you can only become what your leadership is, by the way. If you've got a bad trainer in the gym, then you'll be trained poorly and you will not look good. If I go to the gym to get a trainer and see somebody that's 415 pounds and, hey, I'll be your trainer for a day. I, no, thank you. You're 415 pounds. You're not fit. I'm not, if you are 415 pounds, not my, I'm just saying you're not fit to be my trainer is what I am saying. If you've got, if your breath smells like onions and hot dogs and you're trying to show me how to curl, listen, it's not going to work. You've got to have strong leadership to make you strong. And so catch this. You've got to be in a strong place. But then once you're there, take the responsibility of, I'm going to grow up in the the faith. I'm going to grow up. I'm going to grow up. Acts chapter eight is where we're going for this one. Acts chapter eight. Isn't it interesting to you how all these believers in the early church became evangelists? I mean, that was their purpose, really. Jesus spoke to them. We got the great commission, Mark chapter 16, speaking to his people. Go into all the world, preach the gospel. How do we know that wasn't just for the 12 disciples or the 12 apostles? Because when Jesus spoke to them, he said, tarry in Jerusalem until you're filled with power from on high. And then, you know, uh, you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you and you'll be my witnesses. You'll preach in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth. So catch this. He was speaking there to people who he expected to go do the work. Well, who showed up in the upper room? Was it just the 12 apostles? Was it just the 12 disciples? Or were there 120 believers? Of course, there were 120 believers. So I want you to hear this. Jesus expected his church at large to do the work, not just the 12 apostles. So that means you, that means me. If we're followers of Christ, it means we're to do the work. Isn't it cool? 
You go back to the early church, first century church under extreme persecution. And they did the work of Christ. They did the work of Christ every single day under the threat of death and torture and never stopped doing it. We'll feed you to lions. So be it. We'll cut you in half. So be it. We'll crucify you. So be it. We'll boil you, boil you in oil. So be it. We'll murder your family. So be it. Jesus is alive. We're not stopping the message. We're not shutting up. His body was not stolen. His body was not hidden. He's alive. And you look at all of these people, early church, they all became evangelists. They're all telling people about Jesus, what he did, and that he's alive, and that he's coming soon. And notice Acts chapter 8 is one of those scenarios. And then by, by, with, the, with, Peter, with Philip, who later the Bible refers to as Philip the Evangelist. But at this point, I mean, the Bible doesn't call him Philip the Evangelist. He's just one of the believers who was scattered because of persecution, the Bible says. Go with me. Um, Acts 8, let's start with verse 1. Acts 8, 1. And Saul approved of his execution. Who was it? Stephen. And there was, there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered. All the believers, you hear that? Were scattered throughout the regions of Judea, Samaria, except the apostles. Verse 2. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. Verse 3. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Now look at four, verse four. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. You see that there's the thing for you right there. Those who were scattered. So these were just believers. They had just become believers. They just become believers. Those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. So let me just give you this now. Philip was a believer, according to scripture, who was scattered because of persecution, had to leave Jerusalem, went to Samaria to preach the gospel. Bible didn't call him Philip the evangelist here, just said he was a believer that got scattered at this point. And notice, he had every opportunity, new believer, you know, newly filled with the Holy Ghost. Day of Pentecost had happened. And so now he's in Samaria. He had every opportunity to be self-centered and self-focused. Can you believe it? I mean, Saul's ravaging the church. I mean, literally, they're coming from house to house, dragging us out. He could have used the cry voice. He could have gone through Samaria asking people to pray for him. Would y'all just lift me up in prayer? They've been ravaging the church back in Jerusalem. I can show you screenshots. Look at that. Look at Saul. He's ravaging that house. Look, I got a shot of him going in the house. And so you think about it. Philip could have been self-centered. He could have been uh, feeling pity for his situation. They're threatening to kill us. They're trying to imprison us. I can't believe this. He could have gone into hiding. Could have gone into hiding. What did he do? He went to a city and preached Christ unto them. What did Philip do? He made it about Samaria, not about Philip. Oh, hallelujah. He made it about Samaria, not about Philip. He could have made it about Philip, could have cried, could have pouted, could have hid. No, he stayed right out in the open, though he was scattered to another city and preached. And notice what the Bible says. 
and the crowds, verse 6, with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. Unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed, and there was much joy in the city. And later in the chapter, they call for Peter and John to come from Jerusalem and lay their hands on all these new believers, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. They made it about the unbeliever, not about them. See, Christianity, now, I want you to see this. Christianity does have built within it a method by which believers can be strengthened, healed, delivered, touched, set free. James chapter five is an example of that. Are there any sick among you? Among you, who's the you? Christians. Are there any sick among you? Let them call for the elders of the church, right? So Christianity does have built within it a a, a system by which believers can be healed, delivered, touched, encouraged, all these things. However, that should not be the normative uh, system for 15 years. If you're sick week to week to week to week, you've always got an issue. Always something different. Always being attacked. Whoa, Pastor, I'm attacked again. It's time to look and say, what in the world is going on that I can be attacked constantly for 15 years, five years, 10 years, three years, every week is something else. What's going on? Because that's not God's system. That's not what God has planned for your life. You're called to be an overcomer, more than a conqueror, always triumphing in his name. So you're not called to go from crisis to crisis. You're called to go from blessing to blessing. Grace to grace, favor to favor, faith to faith. That's, that's your call, not issue to issue, problem to problem. So if that is what your life is looking like, what's the deal? It's time to get into the word of God. It's time to fast and pray. It's time to break strongholds. Something is a stronghold in your life that's keeping you in crisis after crisis. And it's not right. It's time to break free from that thing. For where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So when you let the Lord work in your life, fully work in your life, freedom touches every part of your life. Second Corinthians three seventeen, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. But what else can I say to you? John eight thirty two. you shall know the truth and the truth will make you free. So the spirit of the Lord comes through the truth of his word. The more revelation you have of God's word, the more you can be free. Hosea 4, 6, my people are destroyed because of a lack of knowledge. Lack of knowledge. If the devil can keep you ignorant, he can keep you imprisoned. Put it in the comments if you're watching. If the devil can keep you ignorant, he can keep you imprisoned. If the devil can keep you ignorant, he can keep you imprisoned. Very important because there are, there literally are Christians that are alive on their way to heaven, but they're wrapped in grave clothes like Lazarus. There's something binding their life, whether it's addiction, relationship, emotional problems. You can be saved and have addictions. You can be saved and have emotional problems. You can be saved and have issues throughout your life. You can be sick as a Christian. James proves that, but it's not God's plan. 
And if you are in that place, it's time to be free. And the word of God gives us the fuel to live free in every area of life. You'll know the truth and the truth will make you free. So put it in the comments. If the devil can keep you ignorant, he can keep you imprisoned, imprisoned. And that's an important thought because one of the reasons, let me, let me go real quickly to Acts 20, go to Acts 20 and I'll show it to you. Acts 20 and verse 32, Paul's speaking to the Ephesian elders. Listen to what he says to them. This is Acts 20, 32. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up. That's number one. And to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. So two things Paul said that the word of God does for you. It builds you up and gives you your inheritance among the saints, those that are sanctified. It's able to build you up and give you your inheritance. So I want you to see this now. People that refuse to engage the word. I'm working right now with my friend, Pastor Joel Stockstill, and we're, we're putting together a plan for the new year because we're going to take you through the Bible. We're going to go through the entire Bible. And uh, I want you to be ready for that. Not only are we going to fast and pray, we're going to go through the entire Bible. And so I want you to be ready. There's a lot of Christians watching me. You've never read through the whole Bible cover to cover. You've never read every book of the Bible. We're going to do that in the new year. And I want you to prepare yourself. You may have to cut other things out of your life to make that happen. You may have to cut Netflix back. You may have to cut screen time back. You may have to do other things. But we're going to take you through the whole Bible. And not through it, not in a year. We're going to do it much faster than in a year. At a minimum, we're going to do three months, 90 days. Some people may be doing it in a month. And we're going to give you the plans for that. But we're not just going to fast and pray. We're going through the word. And we're going to get the word in us. Because if we're not word people, we'll be imprisoned people. If we are not word people, we will be imprisoned people. There's a lot of people that want to operate by the spirit. You can't operate by the spirit if you don't have the word. You can't operate. The power of God's spirit travels in the vehicle of his word. When God wanted to create, what did he do? Sent his word. When Jesus wanted to heal, what did he do? Sent his word. It's his word that carries power. It's his word that actually activates his anointing. So you can't have a move of God's spirit without his word. And it's got to be in you. Don't become... Uh, that Christian that is a self-centered, a self-focused prayer project. <laughs> Don't be that person. And listen, I'm not coming down on you if you need prayer. I pray for people every broadcast. Pray for people in every service. That's what I do as a minister. I pray for people. But what I'm telling you is at some point, we've got to become mature, discipled believers and turn that focus inward and turn it back out to those that need help. Amen. To those that need help. There are people who need your help. There are people who need your anointing. People who need what you have. And we can't be that Christian. We can't be that Christian. Which, what are we talking about? Number one, those that just want to be right and have no compassion. Number two, those that have a form of godliness and deny his power. And number three, the self-focused prayer project. The person that never gets out of crisis never gets out of problems, never can help the, their own generation, never can help the world because they always need help. Yeah. Amen. Amen. 
I want you to write this and I don't want you to just write it. I want you to say it by faith. Okay. Put this in the comments. Don't just comment it though. I want you, wherever you are, say it. I don't need help. I give help. Hallelujah. I want you to write it and I want you to say it. I don't need help. I give help. That's it. I don't need help. I give help. Hallelujah. Because I'm full of the Holy Ghost. I have the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwelling in me. I'm not a prayer project. I'm not walking around as a self-focused Christian. I'm not a baby. I'm not an infant. Don't need to feed me milk and tie my shoes. I don't need help. I am the help. Hallelujah. I give help. That's it. Put it in the comments and say it wherever you are. I don't need help. I give help. Glory to God. I give help. Why? Because the the helper is in you. That's the Holy Ghost. And did you know that? I'll, I'll finish with this before I pray for you. The Gospel of John, chapter 16. Thank you, Lord. The Bible says, Gospel of John, chapter 16, and uh, verse 13. The Bible says, when he, the spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. He'll not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he'll speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. So he's the one who teaches you. First John says that the Holy Spirit teaches us all things. You see that? Let me, get, let me give it to you from another passage. John, the Gospel of John 14. Listen to verses 16 and 17. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. Whew, hallelujah. He will give you another helper. Just so you know, that word in the Greek means advocate or counselor advocate or counselor. He'll give you another helper. This is John 14, 16. To be with you forever, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him or knows him, but you know him. For he dwells with you and will be in you. Hallelujah. He dwells with you and he'll be in you. So I'll ask the father. Well, he already did this. He already asked the father and the father already sent the helper and the helper indwells us. He's inside us. It's the Holy Ghost. He's in you. You don't need help. You have help. You are the help. You give help. Why can you give help? Because the helper lives in you. Glory to God. The helper. In fact, last thing I'll have you write before we pray. The helper lives in me. The helper lives in me. The helper lives in me. I'm going to pray for every one of you that are watching today because hear me. This is a very, very vital message is we're coming in these final moments of time. You can't be the one who's missing the mark. You cannot be the one who is uh, not doing what is so vital that you're called to do. Your purpose is important. Your anointing is important. Your calling is important. The helper lives in you. And so today I'm praying for every person that's watching or listening. I want you to hear me today. Father, I pray for every man, every woman that is watching or listening, I pray in Jesus' name that the mighty anointing of your Holy Spirit would come upon them. Three things I pray, Lord. Number one, I pray that you would allow them to never be that person 
who is puffed up with pride because of knowledge, but a person who would always walk in compassion by the Holy Ghost, always reaping a harvest, always going after the lost, always helping the hurting. Make us those who love others like you love others in Jesus' name. Number two, never let us grow cold and become somebody that's got a form of godliness and denies the power in Jesus' wonderful name. In Jesus' name, we'll be on fire, full of the power of God, seeing the demonstrations and manifestation of the Holy Ghost in Jesus' wonderful name. And then number three, we thank you, Lord, from this day forward that we're growing in the faith. We'll not be infants, we'll not be babies, we'll not be prayer projects, but we will be an asset to our generation. We will be the helper because we're filled with the helper in Jesus' name. We'll not be inwardly focused, but Lord, let us be outwardly focused to reap this end time harvest of souls in the wonderful name of Jesus. We thank you, Lord, and give you glory and praise. And if you believe it, throw some fire in the comments section and shout amen if you know it's true. Join me today saying, God, I'm ready for the greatest three months of my life that I've ever seen, October, November, December, violent increase and expedited favor. Listen, we're going to encourage you at the end of this broadcast to sow a seed by faith. We're in a new month, month of October. If you've never had an opportunity uh, to partner with this ministry, can I tell you, you're partnering with good ground. God's opening doors for us around the world and we're running through. It's supernatural, supernatural. I've got some uh, phases that we're looking at by faith. Phase one, 80 million homes. Phase two, 39 million more people. And then phase three, I just talked with uh, a friend of mine last week, open doors to touch over 150 nations of the world. Think how many millions of people that is. Every week with the gospel of Jesus Christ, this last quarter will be our most productive quarter ever, ever. And 2021 is going to be off the chart. I can't even... I'm ready to run in 2021. That's all I'm saying. I don't care that it rhymes. I'm saying it anyway. I'm ready to run in 2021. I'm just being honest with you. God's going to move in such a a mighty way. I can't wait. I can't wait to see what God's going to do. So here's all you got to do. Go to miracleword.com and you can click on the give page. All of the ways to give are right there on the website. Miracleword.com. Click the give page. You can use Cash App, Venmo, PayPal, uh, hashtag donate in the comments section on Facebook and Twitter, Periscope. Um, or if you'd like to mail a check, the address is right there on the site. And uh, you can send it if you want to uh, P.O. Box 65116, Virginia Beach, Virginia, 23467, Miracle Word Ministries. Um, but I'm telling you right now, join us in partnership and watch what God will do in your own life. The blessing of God comes upon the giver. That's the promise of his word. And then for everybody that's sowing uh, this month, $85 or more, we want to bless you with this book I mentioned at the beginning. It's called Adventuring with Christ with Dr. Lester Summerall's life story of how amazing miracle stories of how God used him in the ministry, how he went around the world with Howard Carter. Of course, he knew Smith Wigglesworth. Amazing miracle stories. And uh, this is our gift to you. All you have to do if you'd like to receive this book is go to miracleword.com forward slash offer. Fill out the form and uh, we will quickly uh, send that to you as soon as it's available. Also, let me say this before we go. The brand new magazine for the fall is shipping 
this week. I'm so pumped up about it. Got a massive testimony uh, in this edition that I want you to see and read. I don't want you to just read it. We put all kinds of pictures in so you can see it. We want you to see it. God's opened the doors in a big way for this ministry. And there's all kinds of stuff to build your faith in there. If you've never gotten our magazine before and you'd like to, miracleword.com forward slash live. Actually, it's right there on the homepage. If you click the picture of the magazine, you'll see it. And you can go and fill out the form. We'll send it to you. If you've already gotten it, you don't need to do it again. We'll send it to you just as normal. But it's coming out this week, man, and I'm ready. Tonight, 7 p.m., we're right here. I'm preaching at Crossroads Community Church all this week, Monday through Friday, 7 p.m. You don't want to miss it. If you can get here, get here. The power of God's moving, and you don't, you don't want to miss these uh, services, man. Revival's on. Crossroads Community Church, all the info on the website, miracleword.com forward slash schedule. Check it out. Get the directions. Get here. It's going to be awesome. I love you guys. Thanks for hanging with me today. Thank you for sewing. I'll talk to you again tonight, and I'll see you again in the morning. Later. Now that's the stuff leaders should be made of.